Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property. I'm Peter Switzer. And with the economy slowly opening up while forecasts of unemployment look higher than I really want to see, we find out what mortgage stress expert Martin North of Digital Finance Analytics uh, tips will happen to property prices going forward. Then the co-CEO of Centuria, John McBain, looks at the outlook for commercial and industrial property with the coronavirus clearly making life hard for all participants and players in the property market. Charles Tarby, the founder of Century 21, talks about the rebounds that he's seeing at the coalface uh, for residential real estate, given the fact that now auctions and open houses are becoming easier to, to actually perform. But that's an interesting um, take, and he's actually quite positive on what's going on at the moment. And then finally, we catch up with Deb Hutton, the host of Find Me a Beach House on Foxtel. I'd like to see what it's like to be the host of a property show the coronavirus getting in the way of success and all those sorts of things. That's the show for tonight. Let's kick off and we'll talk to Martin North of Digital Finance Analytics. Whenever I need a dose of oh, maybe objective pessimism, I like to talk to Martin North, who's the founder of Digital Finance Analytics. Martin, thanks for joining us. Hello, Peter. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, and I, know, I do think one day in our life when things are unquestionably optimistic, you'll actually be in the optimistic uh, part of the, um, the, the argument. But at the moment, there are a lot of things out there for people to be pessimistic, without a doubt. And uh, your latest analysis you know, does show that there is a fair bit of mortgage stress out there. Is that right? Yeah, it's, and you know, I try to keep a bit of balance but uh, at the moment, there are a lot of negative indicators, unfortunately. And mortgage stress is a good place to start because, you know, it's trying to get at cash flow, household cash flow, money in, money out. Yeah. And uh, a few months ago in February, March, we had 32% of households uh, in some difficulty, just over a million. That's gone up to 38% in literally uh, a month or two. And that means we've got another 300,000 uh, effectively struggling. Now, I've taken account of the government schemes and the bank's support in terms of not principal and interest repayments holidays, you know, for, for a period of time. But we've got a lot of people now who are finding that the crunch is really starting to bite. Okay. And what was the best, therefore lowest, mortgage stress number you can remember in recent times? Well, it depends how far back you go, because I've been managing, um, you know, the survey for nearly 20 years. But mm. I can remember before the global financial crisis, we had uh, mortgage stress in the sort of the seven, eight, nine, ten percent area. Yeah. Um, it then uh, went up when interest rates rose, started to uh, sort of stagnate while, when interest rates were cut, despite larger loans but has now been climbing for the last five or six years. And that's been a combination of larger loans as house prices have grown. And also the fact that household incomes have been static in real terms for about the last decade. Mm. So, so therefore, when you look at the number, I think you said uh, the latest number you got was what, 38%. How does that compare to say the average of the last four or five years? Uh, it's definitely significantly higher, mm. and uh, you know I, I, I was I was used to 
and um, you know, not comfortable with, but concerned about uh, when mortgage stress levels were in the 20 to 25 percent, so a quarter of households. And that's mm. reflective of the fact that many times people commit to large mortgages on mm. the expectation that they're going to grow into them over time. Okay. And uh, we, we always know that some people will, will push the barrow as far as they can. But once it started to get up towards the late 20s and into the early 30s, I started to get really concerned because it didn't seem to me that the official statistics and the RBA was really understanding how concentrated the risk is. You know, on average, they say everything's fine. But of course, if you look in more detail, then what you discover is that there actually are significant pockets of difficulty. Now, the interesting thing is that people listening to this thing, okay, mortgage stress is something that people feel but it might not have a real economic consequence. And, and, and I, I must admit, when I've ever argued against you or John Adams or Steve Keane, um, I, I would say, well, you guys are going to be good chance of being right if unemployment goes through the roof. And what we're seeing now is unemployment is going to go through the roof. And the longer it stays through the roof, the more likely your mortgage stress um, numbers have relevance. Well, that's exactly right. And I've always said that, you know, there are two things to watch. The first is the debt income ratios and the second is unemployment. Unemployment is a critical and a killer, frankly, whenever things go, go bad. And to give you an example, over in Western Australia, over in, let's say, Mandurah, right, a postcode over there, which I know quite well, I was watching three or four years ago the rise in mortgage stress and the rise in unemployment. And over there, Home prices have dropped um, 30%. We've got default rates of 4, 5, 6%. And we've got a lot of people in negative equity. Unfortunately, that is the sort of, you know, crunch that happens. And it doesn't happen immediately. And that's the thing about mortgage stress. You know, if, if, if everything is good, if full employment is there, if rates are cut and are low, people can muddle through. But when income gets compressed, when jobs uh, just disappear, uh, it gets really tight, it takes about 18 months to two years to work through. But unfortunately, unless things turn around in the next six to 12 months, um, the, the writing is on the wall in terms of how defaults ahead. Yeah. I was going to actually ask you, you know, drill down into a place like in WA, because they have actually been through a tough time. But the interesting, I guess, different factor is uh, the government has recruited the banks to give loan deferrals for six months. So I guess the argument is if this problem lasts longer than six months, then your worst case scenario has a lot of relevance. But if we rebound and we get a V-shape recovery, which I think is harder to, to believe, but I'm hoping that it ha actually happens. But if that happens then, then the, 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 the translation between from mortgage stress to real economic problems would be less of a worry. But the flip side is, if it goes on longer and the unemployment number stays up high for a long time, well, then these mortgage stress numbers are actually uh, a, a predicting some really tough times for the property sector. Well, you are right, Peter. And, you know, they've created a bit of a cliff, haven't they? If you think about it, the government schemes, well, probably will run to September, although they may be rolling back sooner. We've got the mortgage repayment holidays up until September. So the critical question is, What's going to happen in September? Are they going to extend those um, support schemes further? Are banks going to be uh, generous for a bit longer? If not, then you've got a, a, the first point of the crunch. The second point is, of course, the statement of monetary policy from last week from the RBA spoke about unemployment being much higher at the end of next year than we had before we went into this. So we know that we're going to have 
uh, unemployment deficit. It's a question of how significant it is, how long it runs for, and, uh, you know, frankly, how many businesses have disappeared forever, how many jobs have disappeared forever. And um, the other prospect, of course, is that there's going to be no real income growth anytime soon. So put all that together, and you can see in some of my scenarios how it could get quite nasty quite quickly. If we can get a recovery more quickly, and if uh, the jobs come back and uh, things, um, you know, go the better way, then yeah. my other scenarios are not so bad. Yeah, because from my point of view, the early predictions were that, okay, unemployment's terrible in June quarter, 10%, end of year, 7%. That would be okay. That'd be manageable, I think, a rise from where we were around 5.4% to 7%. But if it's going to be hovering around 9 and 10% for a long time, within well, um, the worst case scenario looks on the cards. Now let's talk property prices as well, because you know you, 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 you in the past have been a, a property price predictor given what might happen. Um, and you, have you been surprised how well prices have actually held up in, in the short term with the threat of the coronavirus? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, again, I think you have to go granular because if you look at the averages and some of the indices, they don't look too bad. But if you actually come down and look in detail at, for example, um, you know, units on the uh, western edge of Sydney, or if you look at um, um, some of the apartments uh, in and around uh, Melbourne, uh, there you see quite significant falls. So we are seeing some adjustments, but it's early days. And remember that the transaction throughput is extremely low. So there's very little price discovery going on at the moment. So it's difficult to really get a read, I think, on what true prices are you know there are indices who try to make predictions but not sure how accurate they'll be i think the truth will be told not in the next month but in the next six to twelve months and um you know there is a definitely a scenario of price falls uh, mm. did you see cba came out today and said an 11 percent fall over the next uh, period ahead but they could see a scenario of significantly higher than that if things went um, pear-shaped so you know other people are also suggesting that prices could fall now there are people of course saying well with all the stimulus and uh, very low rates and uh, all of the um, support mechanisms are in place maybe they'll be uh, strong enough to keep prices up you know but i have a feeling that gravity is going to win this time yeah well and i think where we started namely unemployment that's going to be the the, the, the maker or breaker of, of who's right and who's wrong so um Let's put you on the spot because you've, ne you've never let the guts to, to make a call. What what do you think house prices in say? Let's concentrate in Sydney, Melbourne first because they, they they've tended to move, haven't they? Very similarly. What what do you suspect if unemployment does hang around nine or ten percent? What do you think house prices will fall by? Right. So I think that if you look at uh, houses in the inner ring, so the very popular family. Um, properties, they're going to hold their value quite well, but probably will slip somewhere between five and ten percent. But if you go out to the to the western suburbs where you've got these thousands and thousands of carbon copy uh, properties, um, they could well drop, um, you know, twenty to thirty or even more from where they currently are. But I'm really worrying about the high-rise apartment market because there we've got thousands of properties already um, becoming vacant. The listings are going up, in fact, there because people were using Airbnb, for example. They can't, students have not come back. Mm. Um, and a lot of those have got poor quality construction issues as well. And so there we could see the 40 um, drop, uh, I think, not uniformly, but the worst case. So mm. it does vary. Uh, I guess the, the bottom line of that would be, if you're right, 
it'd be a very serious um, and long recession. It would create buying opportunities for those young people who've got jobs working for um, the government or whatever, but still, it's not really the scenario we look, we look forward to. Now, all right, so that's, that's one side of it. That's Sydney, Melbourne. Let's get, go around the country, mate. Like, Brisbane has actually started to look pretty good after a period of doing nothing for a long time. Do you think the same kind of hit would happen in Brisbane as well? Well, I'm looking at the high-rise uh, market in and around uh, Brisbane, and there's a lot of supply there, not a huge amount of demand. Again, houses, I think, will hold their va value better. But if you go slightly further, I'm worried about the Gold Coast in particular. Mm. I think there are early signs there of significant stress and uh, not only mortgage stress, but also pricing stress. And again, we've got a lot of high rise going on there, so I wouldn't be surprised. But I'm worried even more about places like Ipswich, for example, mm. where there is massive mortgage stress, very high level of job impacts from COVID. And uh, I'm afraid that I think their prices will drop significantly. So again, you have to go granular to really understand you know, these dynamics. Uh, I, frankly, average prices are totally meaningless. Yeah, and I noticed that on your you have a, a mortgage stress based on postcode, and I think was it Toowoomba had one of the highest. Can, can you explain why? Yeah, so that's a combination of no um, real jobs growth for a long, long time. The fact that um, the, the the prices have not done a lot for a long time, but effectively income is the you know the, the first point and then unemployment's quite high there too so in a way if we, if we argue that unemployment is a critical indicator of what's going to happen unemployment's higher there so um, unfortunately that's how that sort of all dynamic works yeah. yeah of course this is an area that neither you nor myself are experts on and that is the likelihood of either a vaccine being discovered or a second wave happening but clearly a second wave will increase the likelihood of your worst case scenarios being right. But the flip side, I guess, would be if a vaccine comes up quicker than expected, then the best case scenario would be on the cards, wouldn't it? Well, that's right. I mean, you know, I'm not a, a health expert, don't claim to be, but clearly you've got to associate the economic activity with the, um, the viral activity if we can control it and tame it and get it to zero quickly uh, and, and bounce back. But I'm also concerned, of course, not just on the local economy here, but also the global economy, because we are so reliant on, you know, uh, the, the, the trade and the travel and, the, you know, tourism, all of those things. So a lot of the Australian economy um, would still be cramped even if we actually were able to control the virus locally. And that's sort of something I think to bear in mind. But yeah, if there is really good news on the health front, that will be helpful. Um, but, you know, the Reserve Bank's three scenarios, none of them, none of them had unemployment lower in a year time, in a year's time than, yeah. than, than before we went into this. All of them said it's a matter of just how much higher it's going to be. Yeah. Fortunately, a lot of your your great supporters have never had any confidence in the prediction of the Reserve Bank. So let's hope the Reserve Bank continues to be wrong. Martin North, a great pleasure catching up with you. And as I always say to Steve Keem, I hope you're wrong. Peter, good to talk to you once again. At a time when all businesses are challenged by the coronavirus, Clearly, the property sector have a few challenges as well. And to talk to us about what's going on in the sector generally and his own company, Centuria, I've got the joint CEO of that company, Centuria, John McBain. Thanks for coming to the program, mate. Thanks, Peter. 
All right, John, let's just talk about the sector generally before we start looking at the specifics of what you guys are doing. How has the coronavirus affected uh, a sector that, when I've talked to you in the past, looked pretty well, particularly your company and companies like yours, looked fairly bulletproof as long as you had really good quality tenants. But the coronavirus has really thrown a few curveballs, hasn't it? Yeah, we, we, we all used to, for the last 15 years, we've all been walking around saying that it would have to be some sort of black swan event. And uh, we're, so certainly the swan, swan arrived, you know, um, in terms of its impact on the industry, on the commercial um, and industrial real estate uh, funds management industry, you know, we're, it's, it's varied across the sectors. So some sectors are doing better than others. Yeah, and I guess, you know, in a, in a perfect world, if all your clients were government clients, it would be a lot easier being a landlord expecting a government to pay the rents, but the more private and more exposed they are, the tougher it is when it comes to the negotiation process, I guess. Yes, we, you know, I think... Um, you know, we're really only involved in three major sectors, um, healthcare real estate, uh, commercial office real estate, and industrial real estate. And probably of those three sectors, uh, the industrial and healthcare sectors, uh, they seem to be swimming along reasonably well so far. Um, yep. We would have more requests for uh, rental relief from our office portfolio. But I think working through those, um, I mean, the government has encouraged us to work with our tenants. Um, and that's what we've been trying to do. I think anyone who's a SME, a small, a small business, uh, the, the both the state or the federal legislation, uh, the state legislation has really instructed us that um, they've got to get relief. And part of that relief is a rent waiver. And part of that is, is um, you know, some sort of repayment plan. And I think to the to a great extent, most of those smaller tenants respond very well to us. And we are we are pretty close to our tenants. We manage most of the properties ourselves, and we really have no problem with them. And it's pretty fair. If you've got a coffee lounge in the bottom of a office block, and the guy can't open his his lounge, I mean, I think it, it would be unreasonable. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, we've got major, highly profitable companies attempting to uh, achieve some rent relief, and you know we don't, we don't, um, we don't think that's in the spirit of the legislation. Um, but they're very isolated cases. You have to look through this. This this COVID nineteen isn't going to be with us forever, but our tenant relationships have long leases. And our relationship with them is a, as a, an enduring relationship. So, we, you know, we have to be kind to each other. Yeah, and I guess the bottom line is we know that the implications for, let's, let's imagine the people who've gone into your types of uh, funds and your types of, types of properties, they've been looking for uh, returns that compare to term deposits or compare to dividends in, in listed companies. And we know dividends are going to be chopped. We know interest rates are going to be low. So therefore, people who have enjoyed success with you know, your products 
might just have to cop a little bit less than they've been used to because the coronavirus is a big curveball. Yeah, and no, we, we don't, uh, you know, in April, I think we collected 92% of the rent from our office portfolio. Um, and uh, so, but yeah, we do expect, you know, there are there's very isolated pro properties that have gymnasiums and a slightly higher content of retail. So we don't really have any freestanding retail investments, but we do have uh, office blocks that might have a gymnasium and two or three shops in them. And, and I think uh, the attitude from our investors has been, well, you know, in fact, we've had quite a few emails from our investors making sure we're looking after those tenants. So it's been quite a rewarding experience. I think that people are going to be pretty sensible um, in, in relation to how they treat it. Yeah. Uh, John, you've also uh, recently got involved in a, a New Zealand business, Augusta Capital. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, I mean, Centuria Capital, the head company that um, that, that that runs the all of the real estate business. Um, you know, we like to invest from time to time in other companies. And, you know, we, you and I have discussed New Zealand before. You know, we, we believe it's pretty logical for us to expand our funds management business into New Zealand. You know, it's closer than Perth. Uh, not that we mind investing in Western Australia, but it's very easy to handle. It's got a very similar uh, legal and property infrastructure system. And um, we've been watching one company in particular over there, Augusta. Um, they're, they're raising capital at the moment, and uh, we've got about a 20% shareholding them at the moment. I uh, hope it could be a little bit higher over the next few days as their equity raising continues. A really similar business to Centuria. So just a way to, to really um, get a stake in a business which is doing exactly what we're doing, but, but in New Zealand real estate. So we really like the mm. prospects. Once again... This is, invest, this is an investment that sees through COVID-19. Uh, you know, I'm very happy with our performance to date. Uh, on the headstock, Centura Capital or CNI, uh, we didn't retract our FY20 distribution guidance. It's, it's still firm. In fact, we reaffirmed it to the stock market uh, yesterday. So we'll still be distributing 9.7 cents as we said at the start of the year. Um, and I think it's because our business isn't so tightly wound or geared uh, and you've, you remember those management fees based on the value of the properties. We haven't lost any properties. So our management streams are still pretty intact. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting experience, uh, John, because you've had a, you have had a fantastic run. You have talked about black swans, but you've also emphasised the calibre of your tenants. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, uh, works out. And, and, uh, and I guess the point you've made, and a lot of people might not have picked up on this, is that you don't have a big exposure to retail. Is that the area that's really going to be challenged in the REIT space over the next year or so? Well, I think um, in terms of immediate effects, I think retail, you know, and we, we know a lot of retail managers and they're professionals and, you know, we've got respect for them, high respect for them, but um, it's just not an asset class that we've ever wanted to be exposed to. And I think certainly the the uh, I think the whole A-REIT sector has been damaged, um, and I think it's because the markets react very quickly to things, and they're the markets effectively saying uh, we believe you know property values are going to plummet uh, forever. Um, that's just not a view we have. Um, we know that equity values have deteriorated, and we understand that, and we think in the fullness of time 
um, there will be some, um, you know, amelioration to property value, commercial property values. We, it would be naive not to expect that to occur. But um, I think that's when, as you said before, the quality of your tenants, uh, your relationship with them, and the location and, and positioning of your buildings and the way you've managed them, um, you know, will be important. Yeah, you know, just before we go, mate, for people who are wondering, I always see your business in two parts. There may be three or four parts, but one is the, the headstock that, that basically, I guess, harvests the profits from the other parts of the business and people can invest in that on the stock market. But you also have, uh, over the years, effectively bought, built, become essentially part owners of that those business and get rent along the way and when you eventually sell the building they share in the capital gain. Is there a new building or did you have a new building in your sites before the coronavirus and if so are you going ahead with it? We didn't actually, funnily enough we, we, we just completed one one pro unlisted as an unlisted single asset syndicate um, and we didn't have a contract that, that spanned that distance but I mean I think looking forward to the future you know you know, we had a client ring us yesterday who, who was rolling a term deposit for uh, over a million dollars and his bank offered him 30 basis points um, as a return, or 35 basis points. So his natural question to us was, well, have you got a syndicate with a building that we could invest some money in? So we're making offers on buildings at the moment. I think our unlisted property division um, will be one of the first uh, parts of the business that starts acquiring assets. Um, Frankly, we're just not seeing cheap assets at the moment. Uh, where this current financial dislocation differs from some of the others is interest rates are particularly low, and that's helping support uh, capitalization rates and keeping values firm. Um, you know, mm. uh, and it, 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 if there is going to be any softening of values, we haven't seen it yet. We predict a bit might occur. That's um, we're we're revaluing things more frequently because we it's important that we tell our investors what the value of their assets are. Um, and it's, I think uh, look a huge part of this is how long the virus is going to last for. Uh, there's a current there's a current trend to report that office uh, office accommodation won't be utilised and people are going to hand back their office. And I'm just doing an article with one of our people in the office. It's called um, uh, conquering the world from your garage. You know, uh, frankly, uh, we've got 120 staff and they can't wait to get back into the office. Uh, I think we're all sick of being in our bedrooms. And what most people don't realise, Peter, is when they come back to work, we won't be able to sit down all our people in our office because it's social distancing. Until there's a vaccine or a quick test, um, I would say a maximum of 30 to 35% of our staff will be able to uh, be accommodated in our existing space, which flies right in the face of everyone handing their space back. So I think exactly. I think this is not going to play out uh, the populist way. I think people want to be in their offices. I must admit, over the years, John, I think the um, the one quote that has explained some of the extraordinary developments in business I've seen is, Mate, what if the opposite happens? And that could easily be the case. Yeah. John McBain from Centuria Capital, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter.
Well, as we often do, we're catching up with Charles Tarby, the founder of Century 21, and clearly the right kind of business to monitor what's going on with property and properties right across the country. Charles, thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you, Peter. All right, well, we're starting to see some changes when it comes to open houses yeah. um, and, and auctions. Um, what are you seeing right now? Well, Charles? there's a, a really quick jump. It's, a, it's, it's almost, again, like, you know, when things start really quickly and people get that fear of missing out. That seems to have started straight away because I think, as we all know, there have been a lot of people sitting on the fence, a lot of people waiting for prices to come down. And as I've said to so many people, look, let's be realistic. If you don't have to sell your home, you're not going to sell it. So you just take it off the market. And that's the majority of cases. There are a minority of cases where people might need to sell or they have to be, have to be somewhere else, have to transfer, but they're buying in a relative market. So if they're selling, they're buying in a market that's in the same shape. But realistically, lots of people have turned up, not at every open for inspection, but agents I've spoken to in, de in depth have said a lot of people out there started looking again. We've already started selling property. So I think it's only a matter of time before it gets back on the same level that it was on, which was a level that was slowly moving up uh, within at least, a, I'd say within a month's time, you'll see that change. So, and I guess what we're going to see as the year progresses, provided we don't get a second wave shock yeah. and everyone's forced to go back to home again, let's assume that doesn't happen. What we're going to see is confidence growing both by potential buyers, but also sellers and supply will go on the market. Is there any danger that there could be a, a glut of supply that could drive prices? No, I, I don't think so, Peter, because I think that, that those people that do put their homes on the market, I think it's going to be a steady flow. I know that, that, that when I looked at the stats again just a couple of days ago, we were down 31%, not uh, Century 21, but uh, the real estate industry in general was down 31% in terms of the amount of property that we had for sale uh, as of uh, just a few days ago compared to this time last year. So I think people will slowly bring their homes back on the market. I don't think there'll be the rush uh, because there are people, as you as you said, that still think, hey, maybe it's too early uh, and I'll, I'll just wait it out for a few more weeks. So I don't think we're going to see it. But there will be a spike because if, if you've had that depression uh, that we've had in terms of list, uh, sales and listings and sales, you're going to have that spike also. And it'll just be a quick spike and it'll just level back out again. Okay. What areas or states have been most impacted yeah. by mm. the coronavirus or has there been pretty Well, Victoria cops, has copped it more than the rest of the country in terms of being able to get out and about. Uh, you know, we, we've had WA doing open inspections for a couple of weekends now. Victoria is only going to be starting this weekend. Uh, we've already had New South Wales and Queensland well underway. So I would say that the state that's been most impacted by this has been Victoria. Uh, I look at New Zealand, at my stats in New Zealand, and they were in a complete shutdown. So wherever you were at the time the government called a shutdown is where you stayed. And so uh, even after they, they went to level three, you couldn't allow a property settlement for at least another 14 days after that. So if you look at a regional, uh, New Zealand's been impacted more than anywhere else. If you look at the auction clearance rates in you know, recent weeks, does it tell you anything, Charles, or is it because it's just such an odd, an odd event in the history of an economy mm. and the, the property sector? It's just too difficult to look at those numbers and make it. Yeah, look, it's a very odd event. Uh, normally we have 
uh, higher interest rates or we have other economic issues uh, or prices have blown out or the, uh, things that we see all the time, those cycles we see all of the time. We've never seen anything like this other than when we go back into the 70s and there was a, a credit squeeze where you couldn't borrow money to buy a refrigerator. I think we've spoken about that before. That was pretty tough mm. then. But, but this is a really odd event. So I, I do actually think the clearance rates have started to climb already. They were down in the 40s a couple of weeks ago and this weekend just gone by. I know Sydney went through 70%, just through 70%. So I think it's already starting yeah. to demonstrate a return. Uh, but as you said, if we move too quickly on this return and we don't adhere to uh, the the uh, requests or, or the demands of, uh, that have been laid upon the real estate industry by the various state governments, we could be back in trouble again. The, the C21 guys are well aware of what they have to do. Uh, they've been very educated right throughout this COVID issue. So coming back into the arena, they've been educated once more again on how to make sure that they don't destroy the opportunity we have because this is more of a concession at this point in time. Uh, and if we're not careful, that concession may be removed. Charles, what are auctions like right now? Are they still online or are they like the old-fashioned open air auctions? Yeah, the old-fashioned way that we used to do back in the good old days. But, uh, the <laughs> the uh, auctions are coming back. Uh, look, Victoria, as you know, has, has been a, uh, the auction capital of the world and they've been doing on-site auctions for years and years and years, more successfully than any other part of the country. So I would assume that they'll progressively come back to that. There have been a number of online auction companies that have sprouted very, very quickly and have taken advantage of, of uh, the COVID-19. Uh, I do think that uh, that may be a new way of doing business, but I don't think it'll go that way completely. I do think that getting out of isolation and getting in front of an auctioneer or an auction you're getting in front of people in a room will will probably dominate in in uh, weeks to come. Mm, okay, have you seen any significant reduction in well or any changes in foreign interest in trying to buy? In now, Australia? well, there is, there is still a lot of interest uh, from overseas. Uh, because it's always been mostly an online business from overseas. And so not much has really changed there. If I talk, uh, I can tell you some areas, for instance, the Sunshine Coast, I can tell you parts of South Australia uh, have ridden through this uh, COVID-19 issue uh, better than they had the, the quarter before. So we've actually had areas, certain areas, where new homes, investment, etc., has actually picked up. So I would say that international buying is still there, exactly the same way as it was before. Two things. Um, I figured the Hong Kong riots would have increased the interest of people from Hong Kong in Australian mm -hmm. property. And secondly, our success in you know, beating the coronavirus, at least in the short term, would have been another factor that might have attracted people. Do you think these are, are going to be um, important forces? In yeah, I, I really do. I mean, you think about uh, what's happened around the world and you look at what's happened in Australia and New Zealand, uh, what wonderful environments we have here. And we've always said that, that the majority of people consider these countries safe. They consider the government strong. They consider the property prices uh, to be strong, the, the uh, fresh environment we have with not just our resources but our food supplies and, and also the, the actual geography of this country. There's so many reasons why you would want to live in, live in Australia. And I think based on what's happened in Asia, particularly in China, uh, that many of those people, if they could, would rather be living here than somewhere else. All right, mate, we'll wind it up. I just heard a noise then, which kind of indicates that a, 
an extraterrestrial spaceship has, has just arrived in your backyard. Yeah, a bunch of cockatoos <laughs> just flew over the house, Peter. It's, it's a regular occurrence when you live uh, in the Blue yeah. Mountains. That's right. Those Sorry about that. They are unbelievable. They, they're the ultimate larrikins <laughs> who break all the rules and they kill jacarandas they do, mate. as they well. Do. One of those they often kill. All right, mate. Thanks for Peter, joining us. thank you very much. That's Charles Tarby, the founder of Century 21, which is now called C C21. What a modern name he's got for Century 21. Well, when I think of property nowadays, it used to be, of course, that, that horrible person on Selling Houses Australia, Andrew Winter. But of course, the, the better person nowadays, he'll kill me for saying that, but he, I don't care, he, he would kill me anyway. But is Deborah Hutton, who had a fantastic show last year called Find Me a Beach House. And of course, she's locked away in her beach house at the moment because of the coronavirus. Deborah, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to see you, Peter. Yes, Andrew Winter's going to come calling on you. I can tell my <laughs> Mind you, he can, he, can, he can take it. He can definitely dish it out and he can take it. So that's, yeah, that's and he's okay. a terrific guy and he's created a great product. And, uh, and you did too. I, I was really happy that, you know, to, to tune into the show last year called Find Me a Beach House. Were you, were you worried that it was going to be hard to find uh, talent that actually were prepared to go through the whole process? Because you acted basically like a buyer's agent, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. It's exactly what my role was. Um, well, it's interesting because this, this format was, um, you know, it's, it's come out of America. And, and as you know, um, Americans are always the first one to put their hand up if they want to say something, yeah. if they want to be on telly, if they want to, you know, they all just think it's fame and fortune and they kind of want to get their head out there. Mm. Um, Australians are not like that, um, particularly when it comes to people saying, well, I've got, you know, X amount of dollars that I want to spend. We're very private. We certainly don't like disclosing how much money, you know, we've got or what our budgets are. Um, so there was definitely a challenge that was um, that was more specific to shooting the show in Australia than it would be in America. Um, but what we did was we worked very closely with the real estate agents. So they did have buyers there um, and we did have to talk about certain budgets. And look, within the show, we really tried to find things that were obviously kind of, you know, wow, top end range, you know, multi-millions. And then also we had to interject that with things that were obviously a little bit more reasonable. Mm. Um, and we managed to find a couple of people down in Rosebud in Victoria that uh, we found beach houses around the half a million. So, so mm. it was actually quite good to, you know, to kind of just scatter it around. But it, and there were some great characters in it. There were some that they couldn't say anything. So I, you know, I, I kept kind of prompting them. I said, every time we walk into a house, don't just say, wow. <laughs> yeah. you've got to, you've got to... Well, oh my God, oh my God is another one, isn't it? Exactly. Oh, wow, yeah. oh my God. And you go, no, there's going to be, okay, stop. You know, <laughs> let's, let's, just, let's just say something a little bit more, um, a little bit more description-wise. So, yeah. so, yeah, it certainly had its challenges. I, I, listening to you then, I always remember when I was working with the great Doug Mulroy and Andrew Denton, and uh, Doug said to me one day, I actually said to him, I said, how come you guys can consistently be so funny? And Doug said, well, we, we rehearse our ad-libs, which of course is, <laughs> is something is we so learned. true. You know, that reminds me of a story that Harry Miller told me years ago because he represented Graham Kennedy. And, um, and you know, Graham Kennedy is one of the great, great artists that we had who was just this bon vivant and funny. But he was exactly the same. He was a nervous wreck before he actually went out and performed. And he absolutely 
rehearsed every gag that you thought was just off the cuff. Yeah. So yeah, this is a little secrets that, that, that people have. We think it's so easy, but there's a lot of work that goes in. Exactly. Now, all right, so I, I can imagine it's difficult finding people who um, want to buy a beach house and go on TV. Um, so was this going to be continued or were you looking at a different sort of theme uh, before the coronavirus came along? Yeah, well, look, interesting. Um, the show did very well, and we definitely were looking at doing another series uh, towards the end of this year. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. But we also started um, because Lifestyle uh, has been very popular within Foxtel, and um, and so they really started to look at in injecting some new content, new fresh content into Lifestyle, because uh, no one else is doing it. So we sort of own that that category. Uh, so I came up with a, a fairly similar format called Find Me a Dream Home. And, um, and so it was a little bit different. It wasn't just about, you know, property porn and looking at amazing homes. It was really answering the call to people's specific needs, whether it be Find Me a Dream Home, so it's got a granny flat out the back that I could put my mother, or it was sort of more specific mm. about certain needs rather than just the glamour of the house, which I thought was a, quite a good take. Because yep. it's just much more relevant and much more sort of reflective of where people are and our and our different needs. Um, so we we um, and I and I had a lovely co-host um, who was quite handsome, and I was quite excited about working <laughs> with him. You're so biased towards handsome people, Deborah. <laughs> Look, I can't help it. I just you know it's just one of those things. I've got you know I'm yeah, a very yeah, visual yeah. person. Um, yeah. A lot of people are like that. I go so you're not you're not the only person in the world like that. But go on. <laughs> So, um, so he was a builder and, and we started, you know, we sort of got one in the can and then everything was like, it became very, very clear that how are we going to be shooting this show in Victoria, in Queensland, in South Australia, because we found some really interesting properties and it just became sadly very, very apparent that uh, this show was, we just had to sort of pull up stumps and just mm. kind of park it. Mm. Um, and then, as you know, from there, um, there's not, I don't think there's any productions that are happening anywhere in the world that are not being shot you know, in their own environment, in their own house with social distancing and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so a lot of things have been put on hold. I certainly hope towards the latter part of the year that uh, we are able to sort of get back. But as you know, you work in television, um, you know, there's, there's people involved, there's camera sound and all sorts of things. And we are generally within a sort of a fairly close environment to work mm. with each other. Less so for the show that we were doing, um, because we're out and about, we're in houses, we're on, you know, walking around properties, it's not like we're in a studio environment. So I don't really quite know where that's all going. Um, what I have been doing, because I'm, I'm going a bit stir-crazy, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I'm not working. Um, I've got a new dog, which is great, you know, so she's keeping me occupied. But separately, I've been cooking a lot and I love, I love cooking. I've, I've put out a couple of cookbooks um, in the past and I just love, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a chef by any means and I'm not, a, I'm not a fancy cook. I just like good, wholesome food, cut a few corners, get it on the table, drag out the wine, have a nice time. So I'm, and my lunches tend to go for about 12 hours, Peter. I think mm. people arrive at about one o'clock <laughs> and most right. of them leave about midnight. So it's, so it's sort of a show, tongue in cheek, trying to work on a tongue-in-cheek sort of show around food, cocktails, wine, and, and stories. So, mm. I don't know. I just want to kind of feel like it's time to create something, you know, give back, maybe create some fresh content. Yeah, and I was, uh, 
Yeah, and, and, and obviously it has a lot of potential, something like that. And but I, I was going to ask the question, Deb, because you are, in a sense, you're you're a businesswoman. You're you're self-employed. You 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 ply your trade to organisations like Foxtel. Has the coronavirus been something that you just couldn't risk manage, uh, and uh, for a person like you? Um, look, it's interesting. I to see the difference to see how people are handling it. Um, I some people are really going in hard and creating new businesses and, and using that time specifically uh, to sort of, um, you know, kind of draw on whatever they've got and create new things. I'm, I, I've sort of sat back on this for a while. And to be honest with you, um, I'm usually a bit frantic and I've thoroughly enjoyed how everything's just settled. There's a, there's a collective energy that's, that's, that's very sort of dumbed down and not dumbed down that's probably not the right way to say it but it's just this kind of it's there's a softness and a stillness mm. that, that surrounds us at the moment that i'm actually really liking so for me i've taken this as a bit of a time out and mm. um and i've you know i've been reading i mean i've never had any time to read i'm not you know i'm doing a little bit of television but i'm reading i'm i'm just investigating things i'm um researching a lot of stuff i'm just kind of just pulling and drawing back into what's me. So I'm not not out there coming up with the next great entrepreneurial idea and when I you know when this thing sort of starts lifting, come out of the box fighting. Mm. I'm actually really enjoying just really pulling back and just um, just coming back to what's important in life. Okay. I know you've been a, a, a buyer of properties in your lifetime, but your role in the show, Find Me a Beach House, what did you pick up about Australians' attitude towards property that you might not have understood until you start hanging out with people who are maybe even different to you? Look, I, I don't know if I really sort of, I, I suppose spending time with different people that have different needs um, and, and also working within certain budgets. The thing about any sort of property, unless you're sort of by yourself and buying it purely for yourself, there's always these compromises that we have to make. Um, you know, we can't sort of get everything that we want. And so it always comes down to, prioritizing what's really important and then with that you obviously have to make compromises and whether it's with the family um you know with any sort of future arrangement arrangements with people um it comes down to where there's always this whole thing about where that you where the location uh is that you're sort of after and you know it's it's a very it's such a big jump uh because mm. of course it's a it financially it's it's a, it's a big leap who knows where we're going in the future with property? That I don't quite know. But it really is going to, um, I think people are going to be looking, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of change, I think, within the industry. And we sort of know that. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people, um, the property's property is definitely going to take a hit. I, You know, I mean, you would know this as, as much as anybody else. Everything you read, you can kind of see how things potentially will unfold. Um, and and I don't know going forward, um, you know, what it looks like for the next generation. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, we're just going to be more focused and very very specific about what we want, and we're not going to be going, oh, we'll you know buy this in a couple of years, turn it around. I think the way yeah. we're looking at property is going to absolutely change um, mm -hmm. our perspective uh, yeah. on in, in investing for sure. for sure. Well, Deb, the one thing I hope comes back later in the year is uh, Deborah Houghton doing a property show. We look forward to that. Thanks for joining us. Peter, I hope so too. Let's keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thank you.